dreamed I went to heaven and you were there with me. We walked upon the streets of gold beside the crystal sea. We heard the angels singing that someone called your name. And you turned and saw this young man and he was smiling. As he came And he said, friend You may not know me now And then he said, but wait You used to teach my Sunday school When I was only eight And every week you would say a prayer Before the class would start One day when you said that prayer I asked Jesus in my heart Thank you for giving to the Lord I am a life that was changed Thank you for giving to I am so glad you gave Then another man stood before you And said, remember the time A missionary came to your church And his pictures made you cry You didn't have much money But you gave it anyway Jesus took the gift you gave And that's why I'm here today Thank you for giving to the Lord I am a life that was changed Thank you giving to the Lord I am so glad you gave one by one they came far as the eyes could see each life somehow touched by your generosity little things that you had done Sacrifices made Unnoticed on the earth But in heaven Now proclaimed And I know up in heaven You're not supposed to cry But I am almost sure There were tears in your eyes As Jesus took your hand And you stood before the Lord He said, my child, look around you For great is your reward Thank you for giving to the Lord I am alive That was shame. 
thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Thank you, Bree. Great job. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter 5, verse 12. The title of my message today is Stimulating the Faith. That's the goal of the hour, that we would be stimulators of faith and, and other folks. I am sending this short letter by Silvanus, whom I know to be a faithful brother, to stimulate your faith. One of the marks of our day is criticism. A lot of people are very critical about a lot of things. You know, it happens in the neighborhood. It might happen in your family some. It, it might happen in the club that you're in or the team that you play on. A lot of criticism going around in our world today. I'm always with people pretty much, and, and uh, people, you know, they're real free to uh, criticize whatever it is that uh, they're not wild about, and and I want to confess I do that too uh, on occasion. Uh, we feel it today from every direction. We experience criticism at home. A husband complained to his wife of six months. He said, I hope you won't mind, but I really would like to point out a few of your faults. <laughs> And uh, she said, uh, no, that'll be fine. It was uh, those faults which kept me from getting a better husband. <laughs> Criticism comes at, at work. You know, many of you are working. A young man came home one day and his wife asked him how it went at the office that day. And he said, oh, it went fine. She said, well, how are you getting along with your boss? And uh, he said, fine, fine, everything, everything's good. Um, my boss now considers me to be uh, sort of a consultant now. And uh, she said, oh, really? She was very impressed. That sounded good. She was impressed by that. And she said, tell me, tell me what that means. And he said, well, uh, the boss told me that whenever he wanted my advice, he would ask for it. <laughs> Criticism comes to a church. Have you uh, heard people uh, uh, criticizing uh, 
somebody, something. A preacher finished his Sunday morning sermon, and it was a lot shorter than his usual sermons. And at the end of the sermon, he said, uh, you know, I apologize for such a short sermon today, but the dog at our house got a hold of the last two pages of my notes, and I don't, I don't have them anymore. So that, that was the reason. And they had a prayer, and the pastor went back to the main door and was standing there saying goodbye to everybody. And one fellow that was visiting that day uh, walked up to the preacher, and he said, uh, you know, if, uh, if your dog ever has pups, uh, I would like for you to give me one, and I'll give it to my preacher. When I was in seminary, we, uh, we even had uh, criticism there. Sometimes it was more uh, shaded or clouded or whatever, but it was still sort of criticism. The classic story at the seminary was this one. A uh, young student was in preaching class, and after the class he asked the professor, he said, uh, Professor, how many points should a sermon have? And the professor looked at him and said, well, at least one. (laughs) Criticism comes from every direction. Negativism is a part of our world. Unfortunately, many Christians are a part of the problem instead of being a part of the solution. Peter has a word for us. This is the Phillips uh, translation that I uh, read from this morning. Uh, Let me uh, give it again. I am sending this short letter by Silvanus, whom I know to be uh, a fine brother, faithful brother, to stimulate your faith. Now, that's what we want to focus in on, stimulating faith, not being critical, not, uh, uh, you know, doing little irritating things, but trying to help stimulate faith. That's really uh, our job. Um, it's what we need today in this negative, critical world. Christian men and women need to dedicate their lives to stimulating the faith in those around them. That's what I want to do. You know, I I, want to do that. I hope that today when you leave this service, that you will have a greater appreciation for the truth of the word of God than you've ever had before in your life. And I hope that when you leave today that you'll have a stronger love for Jesus than you have ever had in your whole life. Well, the first step in being a faith stimulator is to be an accepting person. Acceptance is based on two things. The first, acceptance is based on an understanding of human nature. Our normal practice in life, whether we want to admit it or not, is to kind of divide people up into two groups. There's the good guys and the bad guys. And sometimes if we see a guy that we think might be a bad guy, we just kind of ease around him or we don't really look at him head on. We, can't, we just kind of, you know, pretend in some ways like he's not there. You know, when we divide people up in the good and the bad guys, we always put ourselves in with the good guys, don't we? We're always with the good guys. Well, 
the problem is, is that we reject many times, very quickly, the bad guys. It's us against them. Closer to reality is to follow the prayer suggested by a noted counselor. Lord, I am neither good nor bad. I am both. And you accept me and love me and forgive me. I am neither right or wrong. I am both. And you accept me and love me and forgive me. I'm neither pure nor impure. I am both. And you accept me and love me and forgive me. I am neither worthy nor unworthy. I'm both. And you accept me and love me and forgive me. I'm neither generous nor selfish. I am both. And you accept me and love me and forgive me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Every person here today can say that prayer because it's true of every one of us. Not anybody here that's perfect. There was only one of those. And he lived a long time ago here on this earth. Every one of us has a mixture in our lives of good and bad, right and wrong, purity and impurity, worthiness and unworthiness, generosity and selfishness. All of those things are within us. To recognize that everyone has some imperfections like we do is the basis for acceptance. Acceptance is also based on an understanding of the nature of the church. Although the church is described with a number of different analogies, in the New Testament, perhaps the most graphic for us today is seeing the church as the body of Christ. That's very clear. It's very helpful. Think about the human body with me for just a moment. Did you know that our bodies are marvelously diverse, uh, made up from dissimilar parts. The human body consists of 206 bones. Did you know that? Of different sizes, different shapes, wrapped with 600 muscles, seven miles of nerve fiber of different strengths, dozens of organs which carry on a lot of different functions in our body. We have 100 million receptors in our eyes, which enable us to see, and we have 24,000 receptors in our ears, which allows us to hear. We have a heart which beats 36 million times a year and sends blood pumping through more than 60,000 miles of veins and arteries and tubing. We have lungs which consist of 600 million pockets of folded flesh which enable us to process the oxygen which comes into our lungs and to rid our body of the gaseous uh, wastes that are there that we don't want. We have a brain with 13 billion, billion nerve cells to help us file away Every perception that we have ever had, everything that we've ever touched, 
everything that we've ever seen, everything that we've ever smelled, every action that we have ever experienced since the day of our birth. It's all in there. You can imagine the lungs saying to the brain, you're worthless because you don't breathe. Or the heart saying to the bones, you're not important because you don't beat. Or the eye saying to the ear, you're useless because you don't see. No, every part of the body was made marvelously diverse by a creator God who intended us, intended each of us to function with the other parts and enable the human body, the spiritual body, to not only survive, but to thrive, to thrive. The body of Christ is a marvelously diverse organism made up of dissimilar parts. The same definition. This diversity diversity was modeled by the 12 men that Jesus called out from among the crowd to be his disciples, to follow him, to learn from him, to be taught by him. They were of different personality, different temperaments. Peter with his aggressive personality. Andrew, who was always kind of at the back of the room. He never really let out. They were, of course, those with different political persuasions. There was Matthew, who was a tax collector. And he had to interface and talk with and relate to the Roman officials uh, all the time. And Simon the Zealot was also there who wanted to kill those Romans. He hated them. He was a member of a group that uh, planned ways to diminish Rome and if could be, uh, kill uh, some of those Roman leaders. There were different mental attitudes. James and John, as you remember, they always felt like they kind of knew how everything was and and what ought to be. And then there was Thomas, who was never really certain about anything. These first members of the church modeled what the church has always been like. Now, you say those disciples, that was a kind of an odd grouping of people. No, no. If you took everybody in our church, we'd have some people that... uh, Represented each one of those things that I mentioned. Each one of those personality traits. We have all of that right here this morning. I've heard some people in their bucket list tell me who they're going to kill. Have you? I have. I've heard that from a lot of good, strong Christian people. All the parts of the body are different, but nevertheless vital to the working of the body so that none can reject others. That's the goal. Likewise, the body of Christ, each of us having different personalities, temperaments, political persuasions, mental attitude, we are a vital part of a spiritual body. And we want to be accepted and we want to accept others into that body. Those who love Bill Gaither cannot say to those that love Bach, that is bad. It's not bad, it's just different. Those who like to fold their hands during church 
cannot say to those who clap their hands and upon occasion raise their hands and say that is bad, it's really not bad, it's just different. Those who enjoy small group Bible study cannot say to those that really enjoy the gathering of the people of God and the great worship experience, they really shouldn't say that's bad because it's not bad. It's just different. One of the greatest tragedies in Christendom has been the tendency among some Christians to shoot our wounded just because they're different in some way from us. A dynamic explosion of spiritual effectiveness would come if, because of the nature of human life and the nature of the church, we would accept one another. The second thing this morning is affirmation. Our text leads us uh, beyond mere acceptance. Acceptance is very, very important, of course. That's the starting point, but that's not the finish line. Peter told the church that he was sending Silvanus not to accept them as they were, but to stimulate their faith. Get them going, Peter told him. Being a faith stimulator means not only to accept others, it also means to affirm others. Now let me ask you this morning, have you affirmed anybody this morning yet? Have you told anybody, and I mean meaning this, not just saying it, that you like this or that or you appreciated the food they brought this morning or you appreciate the uh, sound folks helping us in such a wonderful way, the choir that does such a great job week after week, our ushers, our deacons, our church council, all those folks. Have you, have you affirmed anybody yet today? You know, that's something that you need to plug in on a regular basis because it makes an unbelievable difference in the life of that other person. We affirm others by our expectations. I read about this years ago, and I thought it was so interesting. There were a group of uh, scholars that got together, and they, they plotted out their strategy. They went to a high school in California, and they picked out people at random. They lied a little bit, and they told the teachers that they had tested some of these people and that some of them were geniuses. And they pointed out the ones that they said, now that one is a genius. We just, want, we just wanted you to know. We've, we've done extensive testing on all these people. They hadn't done any testing. And they didn't know, you know, who was a genius and who wasn't. Well, when the year was over, a remarkable thing had happened. Just remarkable. The selected student scored far above their previous standing in their class. In other words, they did a whole lot better that year than they had done the year before in school. Why? Because the teachers had been tricked into treating them as if they were far more capable than the other students. They would go up to them and say, you know, you can do better than that for crying out loud. 
you know, why don't you take this, this harder project? You can do it. I know you can do it. And with that kind of affirmation coming from the students, guess what? They did a lot better, a whole lot better. And they documented, of course, this whole thing. The treatment caused them to perform better than they ever had in their lives. When you expect the best of others spiritually, that very expectation is a stimulation to their faith. Have you affirmed somebody spiritually lately? We affirm others by their words. A pastor in Scotland was uh, walking down the street in Glasgow, and it was very cold. There was snow on the streets, and there were a bunch of boys out there that had been hired for just a little bit of money, and, and they were kind of getting rid of the snow, shoveling it off, brushing it off. And the pastor walked over to one little boy that looked like he was freezing. And he put his hand on the little boy's head and said, How are you doing? Are you real cold? And they talked for a few minutes. And as they talked, the pastor kind of put his hands on the little boy's ears to kind of warm them up because they really looked cold. And he talked in a very kind and, and gentle way. And, and so they talked for two or three minutes. And the little boy said, uh, you know, I, I forgot that I was cold while you were talking to me. Well, when we say a positive word to others, that very word will be a stimulation to their faith. We affirm others by our actions. There was a girl in the church that uh, was on the vis visitation committee. Uh, she was in high school, and, and she took her job very seriously. And every week she would take the pulpit flowers and go to uh, some nursing home or some assisted living place or the hospital or somebody at home, and she'd take the flowers and give them to them and talk to them a little bit and kind of, you know, lift them up a little bit. One day she went to this uh, older man that was a member of the church and he was in the hospital and she took in these real nice flowers and placed them in there and, and she thought, uh, you know, that he would really like those. They were beautiful and, and so she left. Well, the next day on Monday, the uh, man that was in the hospital called the pastor and he said, uh, you know, there was a girl by here yesterday from our church and she brought in a bunch of flowers and they made me sneeze for the rest of the day. Those, they were terrible, just terrible. You know, don't let her do that ever again. And then he said, but ask the girl to come back by. She was so nice. And when she left, I felt a lot better. When we express genuine kindness to others, that very act of kindness will be a stimulation to their faith. Somebody wrote recently, man does not live by bread alone. He also needs buttering up. 
And so he does. It's the truth. That's why Peter suggested to this first century church that there is no higher calling for men and women of the faith than to go out and commit themselves to stimulating faith in other people. How we need today churches filled with faith stimulators. I want to encourage you to be that today. If you've been visiting with us for a period of time, you've been thinking about trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe today would be a great day for that. Years ago, I went and visited a man that lived out in the country in my little country church, and I witnessed to him, I think it was four times, and he never, never got anywhere spiritually. But he would come to the church periodically, and one Sunday, we offered the invitation, and he he slipped to the aisle, slipped down front. And I thought, well, gosh, I haven't talked to him in two months. Why in the world did he do that today? And so I, I talked to him later on in the week, and I, I said, uh, I just am interested in knowing, how come you came forward Sunday? He said, well, this week I was riding around in my truck, and I had the radio on, In Tennessee, Ernie Ford sang a a song called On Your Knees, You're Taller Than Trees. I had never heard of that song. I said, well, that's great. That's just great. You know, different things touch different people. I hope that today, today, if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, that there would be a culmination of touches on your heart and soul so that these would be the moments when you would accept our Savior and walk with him for the rest of eternity. Today, you could come and join the church. If you've been visiting with us, we'd love to have you. We need you to come and help us to use your spiritual gifts, your talents, your abilities to help us in the work that the Lord has given to us. If the Lord leads, you just slip out, slip forward, And take a stand this morning for Jesus. I'll be standing up here at the front waiting on you to come. Evelyn Prather came in the early service today. She's been coming to the church for a long time. She wouldn't say how long, but she she said she'd been coming a good while. It doesn't really matter if you've been coming a week or ten years. If the Lord is speaking to your heart, just slip out, slip forward. Let's stand and sing together.